question. Did you say Jared Leto used to host one of the Tonight Shows? Didn't he? I think you're thinking of somebody different. Because my friend, that's Jared Leto. Oh, I hear Leto and I think of uh, somebody else. The comedian? Yeah. Yeah. That's Jay Leto. That's Jay Leto. <laughs> well, fuck Jared Leto then. No, I love Jared Leto. <laughs> no, his Joker was shit. <laughs> What's poppin' y'all? Welcome to Post Finale. I am your host, Ankit Madeira. I'm an actor and a musician who hasn't seen a lot of films. So to make my friends happy and potentially provide a new perspective on some popular films, I am on a quest to change that. However, I am never on this quest alone. Once again this week, I am joined by director, Mario Kart loser, and my friend, Steven Nyman. Steven, how's it going? That's just offensive. That's and, just and, accurate. And completely wrong. I uh, just won all four races in a row. Okay, number one, blue shells exist. Need I and say And yet anymore? I didn't get hit by any. Actually, no, that's a lie. I got hit by three. Okay. All right. <laughs> How I'm, you doing? <laughs> I'm better at Mario Kart when I have my controller. And I sure, know everyone... sure. Blame the equipment, Steven. Blame the equipment. I mean, it's your Joy-Con, so... Yeah. Okay, cool. <laughs> How you doing? I was better now before you called me a Mario Kart loser. Now I'm just not happy at all. I mean, I was so excited to talk more about the movie that shall not be named. But now I'm like, I should leave. I feel like I just walk out this door, you know, hop on the tube and uh, never return. But, You're living here in a couple months. Uh, No, I'm not. <laughs> well... This is already off the rails. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's it's fine. I'm not offended. Mario Kart is all fun and games until someone gets blue shelled. Yeah, okay. In Steven's defense, he did get hit by like four bullet pills in a row. Four. <laughs> so, yeah. he he. The CPUs decided Steven didn't deserve happiness today. And for that, I don't like the CPUs. I feel like the items were on frantic mode for some reason. <laughs> Cool. Well, we're back talking about Fight Club. That's actually what we're talking about, not Mario Kart. But I have a question for you, as we always have a question. So my question for you is, if you were going to be one of the characters in the film, who would you want to play? I know you're more of a director, but curiosity. Oh, well, like... I think it'd be the most fun to play Tyler Durden. Obviously, I think, you know, Brad Pitt's role is one of the most, has the most engaging scenes, has the most active narrative in the film. Would I be cast as Brad Pitt's role? I can see it. No. I was trying to be supportive. Thank you, Ankit. <laughs> um, but if I had to be, like, honest, I think it'd be most fun to play Bitch Tips Bob. I don't have I don't have bitch tits, but I would wear a prosthetic and be happy to play bitch tips Bob. Fair. Yeah. I I mean don't get me wrong, Tyler Durden's by far the most interesting character to play. Yeah. I think it would be really fun to play the narrator. Yeah. Well not to like ruin it. I just think it'd be fun to be 
Bob or Robert Paulson, as it I were. mean, we're about to get into it, so let's get into it. So we're back in Fight Club, and Jared Leto is now fighting our narrator. <laughs> the only reason that I know that this is Jared Leto is that Adoria, my guest a couple weeks ago, told me that it was Jared Leto. Yeah, he used to be so handsome. I don't know what happened to him. <laughs> Sorry, Jared. I don't have the same views, Jared. If you're hearing this, only attack Stephen. Hey, Jared, if you're actually hearing this, can you give me an on-kit career? Thank yeah, you. that would also be helpful. Thanks, man. Like, you know, great work. <laughs> we secretly love you. You should come back to the late night show. Just put it out there. It was successful when you ran it. Um, <laughs> no offense to anybody else. Okay. So, Jared Leto gets beaten, and the crowd turns from cheering to shock while he's being beaten. Yeah, I mean, I think this plot point will come back in a future conversation, but it's, like, quite interesting because it just shows how jealous the narrator is of yeah Tyler. And, like, it's kind of a moment where we get to see the... Jealousy come out. The jealousy, but the unbridled instincts of our narrator. Because remember that our narrator is not clean. And I think that's kind of like a key to the narrator is like we see him in the beginning as this kind of helpless animal. And more and more throughout the film, he's becoming more and more his perceived version of Tyler Durden. Fair enough. Yeah. Like, especially in the scenes where like he'll say something, it really is kind of like the way Brad Pitt would say a line. Yeah. So the narrator says as he's punching the shit out of poor Leto over here. Goodbye the teeth. Yeah. He felt like putting a bullet between the eyes of every panda that wouldn't screw to save its species. And I love that nothing has changed for pandas in the last like 25 years almost. Yeah. They still won't do the exact same thing. I think it's <laughs> Well, it's kind of like what it's a commentary on instinct isn't it it's he's saying that this is the the these are the actual masculine instincts all men should have that's the commentary that the narrator's making that we should all have these kind of animalistic instincts and i think i heard something the other day that i thought was really interesting of course it was from a comedy show but it still rings true we are the only species on on earth who has ever declared war so we're so advanced, we're, we're the only ones who've ever declared war. And I think that's a, quite a fascinating thing about nature, and that's what it's trying to make a commentary on, about human nature and human fragility. That's beautiful. I was focused on pandas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why, why won't they fuck? Uh... Well, I mean, as... Look, I love pandas. I think they are adorable, and I think... That there is a YouTuber called Aussie Man Reviews. Uh-huh. It's fantastic, but he puts them best. Pandas are cumbersome little bastards, but the world would be a worse place without them. Agreed. Yeah. So moving on from pandas, he wanted to open the dump valves on oil tankers and smother the French beaches that he has never seen. I also haven't seen the French beaches. 
mm. except from like Dover, but I couldn't see the beach. I could yeah. just see France. I think because what's interesting about this line is again from the last. If you watched the last episode, which you should have, if you haven't, pause this. Go listen to that. Come back to this. You know, it's it's it also connects to the fact that in the book he met Tyler Durden on a beach. On oh, a new, on a right, right, beach. right. You mentioned that. So like he met Tyler Durden on a nude beach. So I think it's like it's. I think it might be represent. Re- it might be reflecting on that because like a lot of French beaches are nude beaches. Yeah. That might be a reference to the books as well. Yeah. Of like a t- kind of nod for anyone who has read the book. I think like he's, you might pick I it up. I think the narrator, if I'm remembering correctly, because again, I only reread a few chapters before we filmed, well, recorded this, not filmed. Uh, and um, the, I didn't read the beach scenes, but I, I, I think I distinctly remember him being disgusted the fact he was on a nude beach. Fair enough. I have nothing to add to this. So, Tyler then asks where he went, Psycho Boy, and the narrator says he felt like destroying something beautiful. Maybe that's what happened to Jared Leto. Oh, oh boy. Poor, poor boy. Oh, I agree, poor boy. I think it's really interesting as well because, you know, we as people have this inherent need to destroy things like maybe it's i mean not only a, it's a genderless thing but like you know i think about the things that have been destroyed in the world beautiful things you know it's like acting on your impulse it feels very much like there's these um the inner voice people listen to their inner monologue and accidentally do something yeah Makes sense. Also, quick question. Did you say Jared Leto used to host one of the Tonight Shows? Didn't he? I think you're thinking of somebody different. Because, my friend, that's Jared Leto. Oh, I hear Leto and I think of uh, somebody else. The comedian? Yeah. Yeah. That's Jay Leto. That's Jay Leto. (laughs) Well, fuck Jared Leto then. No, I love Jared Leto. No, his Joker was shit. I haven't seen that. Uh, Suicide Squad. His Joker was terrible. My bad, everyone. Uh, my brain totally went Leto. I don't know why. But I don't... I, I mean, I don't really like Jared Leto as an actor. But that's just my own personal feeling. Fair. Jared, if you're listening to this, we still wouldn't mind careers, but, like, maybe, I don't know, do what you want with Steven now? Uh, yeah, Jared Leto, don't play the Joker ever again, please. <laughs> like, you're probably great in everything else, just stay away from the Joker. Stay away from Batman franchise, just period. Robert Pattinson, uh, good job on the Batman, by the way, uh, if you're listening to this. That was the first one, and I probably guarantee that he is not. So, they... Then walk outside and a car pulls up and the driver is just like, it's okay. Airport parking long term. Uh huh. And then they have a bumper sticker that says recycle your animals. (laughs) Which I just thought was dark and beautiful. So the narrator asks why he wasn't included in Project Mayhem from the beginning. Tyler says Fight Club was the beginning and now it's out of the basement. Now it's called Project Mayhem. Tyler says it doesn't belong to us. We're not special. And the narrator doesn't care. He just wanted to be informed, which I can kind of get where he's coming from. I think there's this like inherent need for the narrator because he's kind of us. He's kind of the the channel in which we watch the film. 
to need to know whatever everything that's going on because we also don't a, know we also as an audience are aiming for that i think like when you're watching a show a movie a film a play anything that you don't know what's going to happen it's the actor's responsibility to play the antithesis of that moment so like you don't want the audience to ever get ahead of the moment and to guess what the ending is so you never like it's it's one of those things where it's why the Darth Vader reveal in Empire Strikes Back is one of the greatest of all times is because no one could ever think that Darth Vader was Luke's father no one ever in the history of Star Wars I mean obviously father means father in German but you you tell me that someone before it was came out that knew Darth Vader was Luke's father prove that to me in some unique way. But I think what it is, I was talking to some actors about it today uh, at East 15, because I was helping a show that's being performed uh, in a venue in London at the Hope Theater next Sunday. Actually, it'll be the Sunday before this episode comes back, comes out. So sorry, everyone. Uh, <laughs> but like, I'm going to go see the show. So it's going to be great. But one of the things is the ending is really, really powerful. And it was really great. Like their ending of the show is like really fantastic. I don't want to say what it is because I don't want to ruin it for people. But I think one of the things I told them was you can't play the end at the beginning. Because yeah. then if we get ahead of you, if we assume what's going to happen, if we already make a judgment on the ending before the ending happens, you've lost your meaning. And so I think there's something about in the narrator being left in the dark. It keeps us in the dark just enough where we're not gonna guess what's gonna happen next yeah which the i whole think point of this show is i try to guess and turns out i'm wrong most of the time which yeah. i think is the beautiful art of storytelling is that you know you want the audience thinking one way so that your reveals don't expose themselves too early yeah and i think there's something about you know obviously you know reveals become something amazing in in cinema and well in all art forms i think a reveal is really powerful but i think because in this movie specifically, we're going through this world through the narrator and who has no name. So it, it, it's it's as if the movie's telling us, this is us. We're the narrator. We're the one going on this journey. So the fact that we don't know about Project Mayhem, therefore, means that the narrator doesn't know about Project Mayhem. Therefore, that's something for us through the eyes of the narrator, through his story, to learn about. Yeah. So, Tyler says, forget what you know, what you think you know, and what you know about you and me. And then Tyler drives on the wrong lane and asks <laughs> everyone in the car what they wish they did before they died. And one guy says, paint a self-portrait. One guy says, build a house. Mm. And the narrator says he wouldn't feel anything good about his life. That sucks. Tyler says that's not good enough. And the truck and the other cars are forced to swerve to avoid crashing into them. Yeah. And the narrator has just had enough at this point. He's just like, fuck Fight Club. Fuck you. Fuck Marla. I'm sick of all of your shit. So Tyler calls him pathetic and then asks, why do you think I blew up your condo? I was right. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, there's a lot of uh, interest in that moment, obviously, because that's the spark pun intended that got him to contact tyler in the first place yeah was the condo blowing up yeah and yeah i find it very interesting but also oh it was so satisfying to be right for once because it's rare 
Yeah. I'm very wrong later on, so I'm going to bask in this glory for about, like, five seconds before we move on. I mean, bask as much as you want. Thanks. But I think we should move on. So, Tyler says, hitting bottom isn't a weekend retreat. It's not a seminar. Stop trying to control everything and just let go. And so they both let go of the steering wheel. They just (laughs) let the car drift. They put on their seatbelts. Remember, wear your seatbelts. And then they crash into another car. The car falls down a steep incline on the side of the road. And then Tyler drags out the narrator. And the narrator says he's never been in an accident and realized that this is probably what all of those people must have felt like before he filed them as statistics in his reports. Yeah, I think it's a really fascinating moment for the narrator because he's kind of reaping what he sowed. And in in a way that I think it's because after this moment, doesn't he pass out? Yeah. So I think what's interesting about that kind of moment of him passing out is that happens a lot in the book. It's a reference to the book because a lot of the whole, the whole, the book is told in flashback compared to like, which kind of the film is, but the book is like more focused on that flashback aspect. I think the film is a flashback, but you always feel like you're in the present. Yeah, exactly. Where in the book, you all at, a, at all times, you know, you're kind of in a flashback. Sure. Um. So there's a little bit of a, a little bit of a difference there but i think yeah he's reaping what he sowed and rightfully so a little bit of a spin-off at this moment in the book it was after this moment i believe in the book that the boss the person who we that we know about is killed oh but that's a book only So he's not killed in the film. Okay. But we'll get to that later. Sure. So. The boss of uh, the narrator. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Is is killed as part of Project Mayhem. Cool. I just gave Steven two thumbs up from across the room and none of you could see that. So. (laughs) (laughs) Whoops. My bad. All of you are psychic. (laughs) We expect you to be watching this in the future. Yes. Also. It's funny that you said psychic, because in my notes I have, Tyler is a psycho. (laughs) (laughs) Two different things, Honkit, two different things. 100%, moving on. So, in the world Tyler sees, Mm. he's talking to the narrator as the narrator is sleeping, recovering. You're stalking elk through the damp canyon forest around the ruins of Rockefeller Center. You wear leather clothes that will last you the rest of your life. You will climb the rich, thick kudzu. Kudzu. You'll climb the rich, thick kudzu vines that wrap Sears Tower. Doesn't Sears Tower have a different name now? Yeah. So I think that actually gives us a hint that we're in because it isn't Sears Tower in New York. No, it's in Chicago. Is it? Yeah. It might have a different name now. I think it's a different name. So are we in Chicago? We might be in Chicago. But he also mentions Rockefeller Center, so I don't know. That's New York. That's New York. Do <laughs> so you see where, like, the confusion of, like, where we are? I think what it is is the it's supposed to be a representation of a city, like, a very, like, heavy populated metropolitan area, Chicago, New York, Los Angeles. Yeah. Which is why so many places like that get mentioned. Definitely. So, anyway, back to this. He also says, 
When you look down, you'll see tiny figures pounding corn, laying strips of venison in the empty carpool lane of some abandoned superhighway. And then Tyler says, feel better, and leaves. And then Tyler was gone. Yeah, so this is actually a really interesting part of the film where for the first time since the beginning of the film, Brad Pitt is gone. Yeah. So, like, now we start to actually feel the absence of Tyler Durden. Mm-hmm. Finally, we're... I And I, when I first saw this, well, this is all when I first saw this, but when I saw it, I was like, wait, is that the end of Brad Pitt in this film? Is he legitimately, like, not in the last half hour of the film? We'll find out. So, narrator starts looking for Tyler. Of course. On the back of his door in his room, he had a lot of human sacrifices. And because I am me, I hit pause, and there were 42 of them on the screen. (laughs) That's a lot of sacrifices. Yeah. Potentially, though, a lot of people that are now moving towards their dreams. Yes. So, you know what? He wasn't all bad. The house had become a living thing. So many people moving in the house that the house moved. But then the narrator realizes that he's actually all alone. His father dumped him. Tyler dumped him. And I was just like, but Marla still likes you. Yeah, but at this point in the film, Marla, he thinks Marla's more interested in Tyler than he is in him. Yeah, that is fair. But I was like, she doesn't hate you. Yeah. She but, just likes Tyler more. But again, it's the loss of father figure. It's, it's that, that's a constant theme throughout the play. Think, you know, his dad dumped him. Tyler's dumped him. He's always fe- like, you know, obviously his boss not being a strong figure either in his life. It's always that loss of fatherhood. That's really the important theme that keeps coming back. Yeah, definitely. So, and then just as I was saying this and the narrator was saying, only Tyler knows what is next in Project Mayhem. And then, hey, look, it's Marla. So Marla asks to come in, and the narrator says Tyler has left. And Marla looks hurt and leaves. And I can't tell if she's hurt because Tyler left, which I feel probably not. But I feel like she's more hurt because the narrator is just being an ass of a friend. I think, knowing the rest of the film... This is a hard answer, but I think if we can move on, if you don't want to answer it, I think it's like more from the perspective of she doesn't know what's happening with the narrator. She doesn't know what's happening with her friends. So she's leaving. Yeah, it's just it's a Marla. Let's move on so you don't have to struggle. So we hear shouting from inside. Yeah. Two gunshot wounds coming through is what we hear. And we find out that these people were on a mission to kill two birds with one stone. Destroy a piece of art. Operation Latte Thunder. (laughs) Fantastic operation name. It's beautiful. I love it. Operation Latte Thunder. I know. But this is why it's fantastic. Is the second part of this mission was to trash a franchise coffee bar. Yeah, fuck Starbucks. Unless they want to sponsor the show. We'll take your money. Please. We'll take your money. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so I, I in my brain i, I kind of hope it's a coffee bean because like coffee bean was the worst franchise coffee place in like my hometown but on kids from S- kind of seattle so i bet like 
I bet like me insulting Starbucks is actually like an insult to him. But like, I don't because... really care. Coffee's like, coffee. I don't drink it a lot, and that's like blasphemous coming from the from Washington, though. What? That I don't drink coffee? Yeah. I mean, I do drink coffee, just not very often. I don't make coffee at home. Fair. I'll just make chai at home. Yeah. And for those who don't watch, we Uncle and I have a running joke. We call chai TT only because Uncle and I went to go see Spider Man and the new one that the just new came one. out. Yeah, and just in case you don't know, it, there was a line that was like, why do people call it chai tea? They're just saying tea tea. And because Anka and I laugh about that daily, and it was just really funny in a film. And of course, Anka and I laughed about something way more, but I don't want to ruin the film for anybody. Please watch it. But Please go watch it. It is beautiful. But like, tea tea was hilarious. And yeah, but like, chai is just tea. So when you say you want chai, tea, you're saying you want tea tea. Sorry, get back on t- subject. I had a lovely time hearing you explain TT to everybody. <laughs> and it's not non-bread. <laughs> no, no, that's bread bread. <laughs> Steven also just did hand gestures. We're doing great on this episode for all of you because this is an audio medium. So anyway, we find out that what has happened is that it was all going smooth Everything was going according to plan. They destroyed the piece of art. It crashed into the coffee franchise, blew that up, and it was all going great until the police shot Bob. No! Not Bob. They shot Bob in the head, to be clear. Yeah, yeah, I was getting to that. But, like, why? Why Bob? Yeah, one shot, one kill. I'm surprised that they were able to grab Bob and still run away. Yeah, that's a really great question. How did they pick up? <laughs> I was like, I because because the scene where it shows them doing the act, it looks like there's only two of them there. That's because there was. Yeah, but then with Bob, how did the guy who has a gunshot in his shoulder carry Bob all the way to the safe house? Who's also dead, and Bob is a big dude. Yeah. Movie magic, everyone. I find the plot holes. Hello. <laughs> Obviously, you know Robert Paulson. Bitch Tits Bob, Bobby B, B-Dog, all the different names, is one of my favorite characters. And You just said that you would potentially like to play him. I think it is sad that he dies, but I think it's like, this is a moment for the narrator where he now feels fully responsible for Bob being in the house. Because he was the one who told Brought Bob. him into the house? Yeah, it was all the narrator. So I think now... The narrator is feeling even more under the gun. Oh, yeah. No, he feels terrible. He goes off. He calls everyone there morons, running around in ski masks, blowing up things. What did they think was going to happen? Yeah. And then Jared Leto says, bury him in the garden. And the narrator's like, no, this is Bob. He's my friend. You're not burying him in the garden. Apparently, in Project Mayhem, they have no names. And then the narrator says, this is a man. He's a man. And he has a name, and it's Robert Paulson. And then, in a beautiful way that I don't know how this man's brain worked. Okay. The one who got shot yeah. in the shoulder magically picked up a dead Bob and carried him all the way back to the house. He says, I get it. Because in death, in Project Mayhem, you have a name. And then everyone starts to chant. His name is Robert Paulson. His name is Robert Paulson. And I think even to this day, what's really interesting about that line is like you'll have people still quote it. 
So like beautiful line. It's such a simple line. Yeah, I mean, Meatloaf, you know, made that role what it what it is, and it is sad. Obviously, it's like bitch tits Bob, testicular cancer survivor, and now martyr for this Project Mayhem. Yeah. Also, when they started chanting, I was like, "Oh, we're in a cult." Yeah. So you, you, I think that's the moment the narrator realizes it's cold as well. Because everything we realize as an audience is... is from the narrator. But I was like, oh. And I, I think what's really interesting about this is like, I think... Because this movie came out in the 90s and the book was 80s. I think, you know, obviously there was the Unabomber. There was the, you know, Manson family. There's been cults in America before. And I think it's quite an interesting... It's quite an interesting dynamic of form for for what's going on. Yeah. So the narrator leaves and he says he has to find Tyler. He goes to his room, tries to find anything Tyler may have left behind, finds some airline tickets. The detective calls from the police station, but the narrator hangs up and is like, I'm going to go find Tyler. So he went off. He went to all the cities on Tyler's used ticket stubs, just bar hopping. He could go to 50 bars and clubs and he just somehow knew if Tyler had been there or not. Because now, you know, every city that he went to, he knew that a fight club was close. And Tyler had been busy setting up franchises all over the country, a fight club and this Project Mayhem. And he says something very interesting. Is Tyler his bad dream or is he Tyler's bad dream? I thought nothing of this. I just thought it was interesting. So the stories that one of these guys have heard is that he has facial reconstructive surgery every three years. And I love how the narrator is like, how dumb are you guys? (laughs) (laughs) And then the narrator is living in a state of perpetual deja vu, following an invisible man. And he's always one step behind Tyler. And then... He gets to a place, and a guy in a full headgear and neck support welcomes him back. The narrator is confused. Also, in this new place, he is drawn to people chanting, his name is Robert Paulson. Exactly. And then we meet this headgear guy. But the guy behind the counter asks if, you know, this is a test, not a test. And then he reveals that you were in here last Thursday asking how tight the security is narrator still confused and he's like is this a test still not a test turns out that this guy thinks that the narrator is mr durden i'm sorry what does tyler actually change his face in this film great question okay we'll move on so (laughs) i i i have no i have no i think i think it's really funny though because you could tell that guy wears the headgear Obviously got it from Fight Club. (laughs) Oh, 100% he got it from Fight Club. But Tyler runs back to the hotel and calls Marla. Asks asks if he's ever had sex with her. I mean the narrator. Is that not what I said? In my notes, I keep flipping narrator and Tyler. Yeah, so uh, narrator. The narrator runs back and calls Marla asking if they've ever had sex. And Marla also asks is this a trick and she's like do you mean like the difference between having sex and making love yeah and the narrator's like so we've made love and then marla with 
a fantastic little just she's pissed at this point i don't know what is going on with her but she is mad and she says you fuck me then snub me you love me you hate me you show me a sensitive side then you turn into a total asshole is that a pretty accurate description of our relationship tyler she just called him tyler she did say what now we'll move on steven's giving me nothing so marlo says she's coming over and I'm so confused. What is going on? And then Ty's in the hotel room. And he says, you broke your promise. You talked to her about me. And the narrator asks, the question that I'm asking is why people think that the narrator is Tyler. Tyler says, you already know the answer. Why would anyone possibly confuse you with me? And I wrote right before I continued after I hit pause, I said, because Ty has told them he's actually the narrator and the narrator is Tyler. Like, he just flipped the names. <laughs> yeah. I was very wrong. Uh-huh. Turns out, they're the same person. <laughs> yeah, so this is obviously the one of the biggest reveals in filmography history. Uh, that Tyler Durden and the narrator are one and the same. Or... I like to think of Tyler Durden as like a psychosychosis break. Yeah. The narrator. He, think about it. He hasn't been sleeping. So he already has uh, sleep deprivation, narcolepsy, possibly. Uh, a lot of things wrong with him. Uh, he has this envision of what a perfect man is, which he is not. Which means Tyler is like a perfect version of a man, according to him. And he, the narrator doesn't sleep at all. And when he does, it's because he's been going to those classes. And so it's quite interesting from the film perspective, because you start getting hits of who, of Tyler Durden very early, like before even he's introduced in the plane. Yeah. There are a few flashes. There's of flashes him. of Brad Pitt here or there, which obviously is film only, not, not book, but. It is one of the biggest reveals, and I think I think again, it prevents me a lot of the time from from commenting on it because it's such a good reveal. It's it's hard to for me to think of it in any other way. Yeah. Then then the net Tyler Durden is a psychos psychotic break of the narrator. Exactly. So, like, I have it in my notes, right? So we'll get to it. But pretty much to finish up this little tiny scene yeah. of what's going on is that Tyler says, and I'm still calling Tyler, Tyler, and the narrator, the narrator. Otherwise, right. we're going to get confused. Brad Pitt and Nolan. Yeah. yeah. So Tyler says, all the ways you wish you could be, that's me. I look like you want to look. I fuck like you want to fuck. I am smart, capable, and most importantly, I am free in all the ways you are not. I also killed your boss, but only in the book. <laughs> and this is where, like, I had questions. I was like, is Tyler just a figmentation of the narrator's imagination? And then he says, sometimes you're still you. Other times you imagine yourself watching me. Little by little, you're just letting yourself become Tyler Durden. And I legitimately, in all caps, have, I am so confused. So Tyler Durden is actually the narrator, question mark. There is no Brad Pitt to anyone else, and it's just a figment of imagination in the narrator's head? 
Yeah. So all of the scenes that you see Brad Pitt with just the narrator, it's only the narrator. Yeah. So all the actions Brad Pitt does are actually the narrator. Which was wild. Like, here's the thing is it was such a good reveal. They got me so good. I didn't see any of this coming. Mm. Shawshank Redemption was the first film that I did. I wasn't as surprised. Fair. With the reveals. I wasn't as surprised. Is that M. Night Shyamalan? No. No. Different. Like, even to Hannibal Lecter in Silence of the Lambs and his escape with the whole literal face mask thing, that didn't get me as good as this one got me. Like, no film in recent memory has gotten me as well as this one did. Yeah, and I think it's quite fascinating because when you think of all the things that have happened, you know, like, now that you it's revealed on Kit, you know, obviously he fought himself in the office of his boss and then he says, this reminds me of my first fight with Tyler. It makes sense now! Yeah, and then, like, obviously... It makes sense why Marla's pissed off. I think, him. like, the next scene is a montage of all the... <laughs> a bunch of moments where, like, the narrator is like yeah. replaced so like you see the narrator beating himself up and the two guys who first joined the fight club watching him beat himself up and then going oh we'll be your opponents and you're like wow and so you have to kind of think because tyler you've seen tyler fight a lot in the movie as well as the narrator like you maybe every fight club both of them would fight so is the is the narrator fighting twice every fight club and then when he's like complaining about all the stuff that Tyler and, and is doing to everyone, everyone's so confused. And so like it's like a dual personality thing that he mu- that everyone must assume he has. Like think think of the movie from a, from from just one of the characters that's not one of them, right? Where like think of it like from Bob's perspective, you just got told by one guy that you're too fat and old to be here and then you start walking away and the same guy comes up to you and tells you oh no this is all a this is all a test just stay here for three days and you'll be let in and it's like it's like wait like could you imagine being bob for a second and being like oh this guy was mean to me he's never been mean to me before oh this is the kind of guy i know now yeah no it's wild and that's what really fascinated me Mm. was i was like Oh my god, like, some of the stuff that was questioning and confusing earlier on other people of how they treated the narrator makes more sense now. But also, I'm just like, what is going on in the minds of these people that are part of Project Mayhem? Because they're seeing both sides of him. I mean, even Marla, like, I get that she's mad at him, and it makes a little sense to me right now of why Marla's mad at him. But I'm still like, you know, what's going on here? Like, what do they know, and do they know things that maybe the narrator doesn't have a conscious remembrance of because he did it in his Tyler persona? Yeah. But we'll get into that in just a moment. We're going to take a quick break for an intermission because (laughs) I got to keep things going somehow but yeah we'll do that and then we'll come right back 
Hello everyone, I hope you are enjoying this episode of Post Finale as we finish going through Fight Club. I am very sorry for how off the rails we have already gone and probably will continue to go, but I hope you're enjoying it nonetheless. We will get to the end of Fight Club at the end of this episode, that much I can promise you. But if you are enjoying the show and want to help out the show in supporting the show and gain access to loads of bonus content, you can do so. Head over to patreon.com slash postfinale. You can sign up for any of the tiers and you gain access to different types of bonus content like my notes or bonus audio where I go through, rank the movies that I have watched. I update that every time I finish a movie of what are my favorite movies and how do I like them compared to the other ones that I've watched on this podcast? What are some of my favorite movies, etc., etc. And any of the money that is made from the Patreon will go directly back into the show to help make it a better show, to help pay for better microphone equipment and potentially video equipment so that we can make the show a video podcast as well as it currently is not, but hopefully in the future it might become one. But if any of that sounds of interest to you, it's greatly appreciated. Just head on over to patreon.com slash postfinale and sign up for any of the tiers. And if you can't do that but still want to support the show, you can do so. Talk about us on social media. That helps a lot. At Pod on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. I'm still going to call it Twitter, even though technically I think it's X now. I don't know. For me, it's still a little cute bird, or at least I want it to be a little cute bird. So it's still Twitter because, you know, we don't need to change. And where's the fun in that? So we're on that. Talk about us on social media. Leave us a review, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, whatever podcasting app you are using to listen to the show. That really does help. And word of mouth. Word of mouth is the best way to share the show and, you know, send the show out to more people. And it does help a lot. Reach out to a friend. Be like, hey, you love movies. Go check out this podcast. This actor has some fun takes and usually he's wrong and just makes bad jokes, but it's a fun time and it's a laugh and you might enjoy it. So any of that really, really does help. I appreciate anyone who has done this already or will do this in the future. Thank you so much. But for right now, let's go back to the chaos and continue talking about Fight Club as we get to the end of the movie. So the narrator tries to deny it. He doesn't want to accept that he is Tyler. And he's like, what about the house rented in his name? What is his real name? We never find out. Jobs. He has night jobs because he can't sleep or he stays up and makes soap. Marla. Technically, the narrator is fucking Marla, but all the same to her. It doesn't really matter. So now Marla knows too much and they have to discuss how this might compromise their goals. And I was like, this explains why earlier in the film he says, Tyler and Marla are never in the same room together. It's also true in the book. All three of them are never in the same room. That line is like stolen straight from the book. Oh, beautiful. It doesn't explain how debris fell on his head while the other two were fucking? Well, because he's not down there, actually. He's upstairs fucking her. But he had debris on his head. He's just assuming there's debris. Oh, okay. Now, every, every time Marla's been in the house, she's been with the narrator having sex. Yeah, so the incredible loud sex was, you know, with... Marla. Marla. 
Well, I mean, Marla was always involved, but with technically the narrator. Yeah, and as well as like the narrator, you know, he before before Marla even first shows up, he had kind of like a weird dream where like he was seeing flashes of Marla having sex with someone. Yeah. And then now it makes more sense. Yeah. So the narrator passes out and yeah. <laughs> goes, it's called a changeover. The movie goes on and nobody in the audience has any idea. And it's really interesting because this pass out motif is more common in the book. And I'll talk about it more once we get towards the end. Cool. Sounds good. So the narrator wakes up and rushes out. Apparently he made some phone calls at 2 to 3.30 in the morning. And he's like, have I ever been going to bed earlier every night? How long has Tyler been around like longer and longer he gets back to the house the house is empty but it's rigged to blow and the narrator calls and tries to warn people that something terrible is going to happen to their building but the guy on the phone says don't worry it's solid everything is under control and it's just like oh he's part of project mayhem i think what's interesting is you put a man in who's having um insomnia like major 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 insomnia in in a moment of in a moment of he can't sleep anymore. Yeah. So like, obviously when he was doing the classes and he was the only one there, he could sleep. But as soon as Marla joined, he lost his ability to sleep again. And then once he split with Marla, he, it wasn't enough for him to sleep. So when he thinks after his fight club though, he thinks he can sleep again, but what's actually happening. I think this is really interesting. Whenever the narrator thinks he's sleeping, he's actually just Tyler. Yeah. So the narrator Except for maybe that one night a week where he actually gets beaten up as the narrator. Yeah. So he never sleeps. Yeah. So that one hour of sleep a day thing might actually be true. Yeah, which is crazy because a lot of uh a lot of his symptoms come from lack lack of sleep, lack of ability to actually yeah. have that REM, lack of ability to actually have that reset of the day. And I mean, heck, like even we're not in a theater, but even the play Macbeth by Shakespeare, there's an argument in that play that Macbeth doesn't sleep the entire play from the start of the play to the end. Yeah. And that's what drives him so mad. That's why he sees the witches. That's why he sees all the magical stuff. So not sleeping does a lot to you. There's a really interesting video about like the guy who's like stayed awake the longest. Mm-hmm. And he talks about it. He's like, when you don't sleep for like a really, really long time, you don't miss. It's not like you stay awake the whole time. He says you have micro naps. He says he he says when he wasn't sleeping for a long time, he could be standing and then lose an hour. Yeah. Just standing. Well, so I remember back in high school, my friends did a little experiment and that sounds scary (laughs) especially in high school (laughs) well so you've heard of drunk history oh yeah yeah we were high school students we couldn't do drunk history well we technically legally we couldn't so in in america the drinking age is still 21 we but you can get drafted at 18 welcome to america so that's because the soccer moms don't care if you go to war they only care if their little boys drink (laughs) it's true that's why we have most of our laws soccer moms i'm sorry that's my that's my one tangent 
You've had more than one, but I accept all of them. Bunch They're of lovely. Ca- bunch of Karens. Anyway, um, so but the experiment that my friends did was that instead they kept my friend Gleb. Also, Gleb, if you're listening to this, hello. But they kept my friend Gleb awake for I think it was like 72 or like 96 hours. Oh, God. And then they did it to where he explained, like, the little history project and called it Sleepless History or something along those lines. And I distinctly remember in that video at some point, Gleb was seriously talking about some subject. I don't even remember what the topic was about. But he was seriously discussing it and then just goes, where's my cat? (laughs) Like, went on a trip to go find his cat. (laughs) But, like, do you know what, do you see what I mean? Like. The, like, these lapses of judgment from the, from the main character, these, this idea that Tyler Durden's taking, Tyler is taking control of the narrator when he's sleeping is, is quite indicative of the insomniatic nature of being unable to sleep. Actually, and I think it's interesting that the doctor didn't do anything more to him because I think nowadays if somebody went to the doctor and said, I have insomnia more can be done yeah i don't know how much could be done in 1998 there's sleep pathologists now like there's actual like people they're studying to it yeah it's really fascinating i mean i i I don't study sleep pathology myself but i am study directing i am interested in what what is that like what what is the cause and effect of sleep on a human body like because it's interesting that like we can live on six to eight hours of sleep where like other animals for example it's like dogs dogs sleep for like 14 hours a day or lions sleep for i think about or 16 hours like there's an interest I, I i think 16 i might be wrong of course but i think there's something interesting about the fact that like worthy maybe worthy we can survive on six but some people really don't sleep and i think it's like what insomnia is so much so more common than we think it could be yeah so we get to marla and the narrator shows up the narrator says he'll explain everything but she's gotta have a little faith in him and marla just goes here comes an avalanche of bullshit and the narrator's like well a little more faith than that i love that little (laughs) two second clip yeah it's beautiful beautiful so they end up in a coffee shop, and the waiter says anything that he orders is free of charge. Marla is slightly confused, but she's like, you know what? Fuck it. She orders clam chowder, fried chicken, baked potato with everything, and their chocolate chiffon pie. And you know what's really funny about that? For some reason in my head, that feels like it's a last meal. Like somebody on death row. Like that would be their last meal on death row. Fair. Like have you ever watched those videos of like what pe- like the, yeah, yeah, the yeah. famous people with like, like I think it was like somebody ordered like, because, like, they always order more food than they can actually have, I think. Like, somebody ordered, like, one day two lobsters. I don't think people get death row meals anymore now. But they used to be a really big thing. I don't know. The last meal. I think there was a really interesting last meal request. Somebody just got a pea. Like, one single green pea was all they wanted to eat as their last meal. Look, man, was talked about. <laughs> or woman. I don't even, I don't know. I don't I think, know I think it was, it was a man. Sure, that sounds like something stupid a man would do. But I mean, most most people on death row in America are men. Yeah, statistically, probably a man. So, Marla says, "All right, you have about thirty seconds." And the narrator says he knows that he's been strange, and like there are two sides to him. And Marla's like, "Yeah, Doctor Jekyll and Mister Jackass." 
<laughs> Marla's killing it. I love it. So Marla starts to leave, and the narrator goes, 15 more seconds. He's trying to apologize and tells Marla that he really cares for her and doesn't want anything bad to happen to her because of him. And in the middle of traffic. Yeah. He does stop. Well, he hasn't stopped a bus yet. Which makes me think it's New York because of all the yellow taxi cabs that are all around. Fair. So, Marla's life is in danger. He tells her to get out of town and to any major city for a little bit. Marla yells at him to shut up. She likes him, but he has some serious, deep emotional problems. Duh. That she just can't do this no more. She's gotta go. She's gone. So, Marla storms out. The narrator follows, and she doesn't want to see him again. He stops a bus by standing in front of it. Cool. And then he offers Marla some money and says, get on the bus with the money and she'll never see him again. And then he proceeds to also just yell shut up to the car that's honking at him the whole time because he stopped traffic, which I appreciated. Marla then takes the money and asks why. And it's because she is considered a threat. And then I asked why. Because she knows everything. Because she knows Tyler Durden. So does everybody else in Project Mayhem. Yeah, but she knows stuff that she shouldn't know. Oh, that he kind of has the split personality? She, yeah. But everyone in Project Mayhem knows that. No, but I think she they're under Tyler's thumb, everyone else, where Marla's a variable. Ah, okay, fair enough. So, but if he sees where she's going, she won't be safe. And then she goes, fine, I'll take your money, but I'm not paying it back because I consider this asshole tax. Fair enough. Marla gets on the bus and says, Tyler, you're the worst thing that has ever happened to me. And then the door slams and she goes away. So our narrator then goes to the cops and tells them he needs them to arrest him. He's the leader of a terrorist group responsible for numerous acts of vandalism and assault all over the city. Yay. I like how he's trying to have this come to Jesus moment. So he explains that it's a tightly regimented organization with many cells capable of operating completely independent of central leadership. Just a very well-organized machine. Like, you're kind of a psycho, but, like... I I think what's interesting about this part of the movie versus the book is definitely it's become more Hollywood. It's now a narrator on on a very big journey instead of in the book at this moment everyone's coming after the narrator instead of the narrator coming after Tyler. Oh, okay. It's kind of flipped. I don't know how to feel. I'll read the book eventually, and when I do, I'll make some bonus content about my thoughts on the differences. Great. Yeah. I don't know. I haven't read the book. I've seen the movie. I didn't even know the book existed until Stephen told me earlier today. (laughs) In the last episode. Yeah. (laughs) So... Uh, spoiler alert, we're recording this on the same day. I'm so sorry to break it. Oh my it. gosh. I know. It's almost like I had you come over once. <laughs> so, he then explains, you know, about the house. And he's like, look, if you look in the back of the house, you'll find a body of Robert Paulson. If you look in the basement, the bathtubs have recently been used to make nitroglycerine. And it'll also be ready to blow. And he believes that the plan is to blow up the headquarters of the credit card companies and the TRW building. Yeah. The detective asks why these buildings, why credit card companies? And then he explains, if you erase the debt record, then we all go back to zero. It creates total chaos. Sure. Fantastic. 
there we go. That's what you wanted to achieve. It's not capable anymore, but like in the 90s, yeah. I think this is like the really big sticking point that I have an issue with within the film versus the book argument. Because I think as an audience member, from a modern day perspective, I almost root for the credit card companies to go down. <laughs> and oh, maybe yeah, that's just a hundred percent was like, go down. <laughs> like, cause it's like such a, especially because, you know, credit card companies have fucked up America so much. I think it has become such a, it's an interesting thing to be on side of Tyler Durden. Where in the book, I'm never really on his side. Yeah. Fair enough. And I'll explain the plot differences of why later. Fair enough. So the detective goes off to make a phone call and then tells the guys to keep him talking. The narrator. Turns out that the guys on the force are also part of Project Mayhem. Yeah. They call him brave. They call him a genius. Apparently, while our narrator was in the Tyler mode of his personality, he told his followers that if anyone interferes with Project Mayhem, even him, they gotta get his balls. The narrator tries to deny it, but apparently everything he tries to say to get out of it, the cops are like, yep, you say you'd say that. <laughs> the narrator then tries to run. The cops grab him, put him on the table, and they try to get him down. But as they're fumbling and trying to find the rubber band, the narrator manages to grab a gun and escapes. The narrator then runs into the street, causing all kinds of chaos, as usual, because, you know, run into oncoming traffic. Always a good life choice, I guess, in a film. See, because in a film, you will never get run over. Unless unless the director wants you to. Which is rare. But there is a slight possibility that you will probably not be run over. If you run into oncoming traffic and just full traffic. There you go. If you do that in real life, well, just don't. Because your odds are not as good. (laughs) So, he ran until his muscles burned and his brain pumped battery acid. And then he ran more. I love that he's doing all of this without any pants on. Fantastic. (laughs) He shoots his way into a building and he goes down to the garage. He finds a van that is filled with blasting gel and is set to blow in 25 minutes. By the way, Tyler shows up while he's trying to get into the building and mocks him pretty much the whole time. So Tyler asks what he's doing and the narrator asks, well, since when is Project Mayhem about killing people? And then Tyler explains that the buildings are all empty. The security and maintenance people are all of their people. So they're not killing anybody. They're just setting them free. Which makes me even more on Tyler's side. I'm like, honestly, you're not killing anyone. Burn the records. So this is where I have a disagreement with the film and I support the book's choices. But we'll get there. We're still not there. I love that we're still not there because I legitimately don't know what Stephen wants to talk about this. <laughs> I want to. I want to get to the ending of the film and then and then talk about all of the the ending of the book and and all the things that lead up to this moment of the ending of the film. Beautiful. And then talk about the things that lead up to the ending of the book and why the book has a better ending. Because I think I think Hollywood loves to have a happier ending than the Fair. book does. But I think what's interesting about this moment in, 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 the, in the film is it is 
because this is film only right now. Like we're in film only territory for the next like 10 minutes. It's only film territory, only film territory. I think it's really interesting for Tyler to like try to deactivate a bomb that he's sure that our, our narrator to deactivate a bomb that he's sure Tyler made. Yeah. So it's like, now we get to kind of see the psychosis almost try to break itself. So he's fiddling with the bomb. Tyler says he shouldn't do that unless he knew which wires were what. He manages to pull out the green one and he cuts it and it stops the timer. And then Tyler bunches him out of the van, locks the van, breaks the key, throws it away. And it was very funny watching all of this on the security tape because the narrator's just yelling get away from the van at nobody. <laughs> and the narrator shoots the gun, hits the van, and Tyler goes off. He's He just goes, okay, you're shooting a gun at your imaginary friend near 400 gallons of nitroglycerine. <laughs> yeah. You're also in the building that you're going to stand on top of and watch the explosion. So the building that you're going to stand in is going to blow up anyway. Yeah. It was just a great, like, one-liner from Brad Pitt because he just goes from, like, calm to, like, dude, what the hell? Yeah. (laughs) So the narrator shoots Tyler, does nothing. Fascinating. It's almost like he's imaginary. Mm. Tyler is annoyed and starts beating up the narrator. And might I just say, Tyler's outfit? Beautiful. It's a great outfit. Just shows off Brad Pitt as Brad Pitt. Yeah. (laughs) So, Tyler starts chasing him through the garage. He clotheslines him. Then he tosses him into the ticket booth, causing the little gate to lift up. Then he throws him through the actual booth. The narrator tries to hide under a car. Tyler pulls him out, throws him into the mirrors. I do appreciate that Tyler checks his reflection in the mirror. It's very important. Then the narrator starts to crawl away. Tyler gets him into the stairs and throws him down the stairs. And now, when we wake up, we're three minutes away to ground zero. We're back to the beginning of the film. Mm. We're back at that. So Tyler asks if he'd like to say a few words. Narrator still can't think of anything. And Tyler says, think of everything they've accomplished. View the collapse of financial history. They're one step closer to economic equilibrium. Which I think at this point, I'm on the side of... <laughs> I want economic collapse? No, I don't. But like, I I would love for the rich to get poor, I guess, in my head. There's this idea that especially for Tyler who has had no control in his life or the narrator who's had no control in his life, no father figure to lead him that the biggest problem in life is financial security and money, which is a theme film only. Of course this is film only, which is the theme in the film of like, if we take care of this, we're the true gods. We're the true fathers. We'll lead a new path. Yeah. So outside the window, the narrator sees Marla and Tyler says she's here to tie up some loose ends. Narrator asks why he can't get rid of him. He's just a voice inside of his head. And Tyler says, you need me. The narrator's like, no, I don't. And Tyler then goes, hey, you created me. I didn't create some loser alter ego to make myself feel better. Take some responsibility. <laughs> Fair play to Tyler. 
It is. It is showing. I mean, I don't know if it shows the full effects of what schizophrenia is like. Probably not. And I don't want to assume that's what schizophrenia is like because there probably are people out there who suffer from it and and deal with it on a major schedule, like a like a really interesting way. But I think you know the dual personality is quite a fascinating one, and it is something that is used in media a lot but i think fight club does it does it very well yeah so then the narrator says that he accepts responsibility but please call it off tyler asks if he's ever let them down how far have they come because of him and then tyler says he'll carry the narrator kicking and screaming and in the end you'll thank me Narrator realizes that Tyler isn't real. The gun isn't in his hand. It's in the narrator's hand. But that doesn't change anything. Apparently it does. The narrator puts the gun to his head and Tyler's like, why? And then the narrator's like, it's not my head. It's our head. Interesting. So the narrator cocks the gun, says, listen to me. My eyes are open then puts the gun in his mouth and shoots himself. Tyler then says, what's that smell? And then falls over and dies. Some of the others walk in and then find the narrator and ask what has happened. And in a raspy voice, he says, he's okay. It's not a problem. How is the narrator still alive? Because the bullet went out the, the cheek by the ear. But then it still killed Tyler? It was enough of a shock to get rid of Tyler. Okay. In his brain. Sure. Also, on a different note, because Tyler's dead, I don't really have much thoughts on that. I kind of figured we were going towards that direction anyway. I mean, it makes sense in in a narrative that needed to get rid of Brad Pitt for the end. Yeah, makes sense. But also, on a more nitpicky side... It's past three minutes since Brad Pitt said three minutes and nobody's called off anything. No one has disarmed any of the bombs. Why haven't all the buildings blown up? Yeah. So that's something really interesting because obviously the timing, the time it's assuming that the it's one of those things in film that happens a lot where like some time will be said, but the scene will be longer than the actual time, but you're supposed to just assume this is happening quickly. Yes, no, I know the assumption. I've seen films before, but I'm yeah. also nitpicky and annoying. Yeah, but the <laughs> the suicide attempt where he tried to shoot himself, it went through the neck and ear. Okay, okay. Sure. So, which still injured him a lot. Yeah. But left him alive. Fair. So the narrator tells everyone to grab their stuff and leave Marla. He'll meet them downstairs. Marla is pissed and she is screaming at him and she's going off and then just stops as soon as she sees his face she's like oh like who did this to you and he's like no no everything's okay i'm gonna be fine and i'm like oh there go the buildings because all the buildings blow up i was like you're roughly two minutes late (laughs) but the buildings are blowing up the narrator explains that Marla met him at a very strange time in his life. And the movie ends with the narrator and Marla holding hands, watching the explosions. 
So, <laughs> this is why I have the biggest problem with the end of the film. Alright, go for it. Lay okay. it on me. Okay, so, from the moment where Tyler reveals that he... Tyler reveals in the narrator that he is Mr. Durden. That the narrator is Tyler Durden. Okay. Or that his second psychosis is Tyler Durden. Whatever yes. you want to call it. The movie is different than the book. So, what happens beat for beat in the book, which I think is the most interesting thing, is the narrator, again, first thing he thinks about, he wants to get to Marla so he can protect her. He passes out, though. And he wakes up and he again tries to stop Project Mayhem in a few ways. Eventually, he learns part, part of Project Mayhem is the blowing up, the literally explosion of his boss, the boss that we hate. <laughs> Which happens, actually happens. So Tyler's killed Tyler's boss. Tyler's killed the narrator's boss. One. So one death so far. I'm on there. I'll keep there. the death toll. You keep going. Okay. The narrator is also being targeted now by everybody else because he is now against Project Mayhem. And basically, Tyler told everyone, if I go against Project Mayhem anyway, castrate me. So. You remember how I said the narrator going into flashes, like going to sleep, waking up, comes back a lot? Well, it comes really back. So all of a sudden, the narrator wakes up again in his apartment that's burnt down. He hasn't been castrated. So like he like he's about to be castrated, but then he falls asleep again in the middle of them almost castrating him. But then he wakes up in his old condominium, not castrated. So he just doesn't know what happened between then and then. And then he's like, but... Then he commit. Then he thinks about committing suicide for the first time. He doesn't do it because he loves Marla. Then he falls asleep again, wakes up in the in a skyscraper, the same one at the beginning of the novel with the gun in his face. And Marla and the rest of the cancer survivors show up there because what Tyler's original Project Mayhem was, he was going to blow up everyone, including Marla and these cancer people. And send him, the narrator, and everyone else to, to die. Oh, wow. So the, the, the bomb was just going to kill these people in the skyscraper. So kill a bunch of people. And Tyler wants to be a martyr for the cause of Project Man. Luckily, <laughs> Tyler's bomb skills, or I should say the narrator's bomb skills, aren't that good. The bomb turns out to be a dud. But the narrator still shoots himself. And it goes through the, the ear. And wakes up last chapter in an insane asylum. Being helped and treated for his insanity. But the only thing that haunts him is the fact that most of the orderlies, not the one who's in charge, but the orderlies, the nurses, and all of them still refer to him as Sir and Mr. Durden. Okay. And that is the end of the novel. And you're unsure a bit of Marla at the end. You're unsure if she's passed away or she got help for her cancer. Marla apparently is writing him letters into the hospital. But you're still left in a sense of we don't actually know what happened to her. 
Yeah, and he's getting letters from her in the book, and basically, they just people from Podrick Mayhem keep coming to visit him as well, and they're eager for him to get back to work. So the novel, the difference between the novel and the book, in my opinion, is one makes Tyler out to be a good, an anti-hero in a way. Yeah, because like you kind of you're. Your his actions don't kill anyone, obviously in the in the movie, and they go out of their way to like make sure that Brad Pitt's character Tyler Durden doesn't kill anyone, almost. Yeah. Compared to the book, where like he purposely tried to kill a bunch of people. He also blew up his boss. Yeah. Okay. Well, some fun facts about the film. Now that we've gone through it, I loved it. Great film. Got me really, really good with the twist. And the reveal, I absolutely love this film. I definitely want to see it all in one sitting now because, you know, I don't normally when I do this show because that's just the way the show works. But it got a 79% on Rotten Tomatoes. It has an 8.8 out of 10 on IMDb. It is ranked number 12 on IMDb's top 250. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's rated really high on that. Nominated for Best Effects and Best Effects editing for Ren Kleiss and Richard Himes at the 2000 Oscars. Didn't win, but it was nominated. So well done to the two of them and their whole team. Hey, I, I, what were they up against? Probably like Spider-Man or something. It was 2000, so I don't think they were up against Spider-Man yet because Spider-Man came out in 2002. 2002. Yeah, that's right, because they had to change the commercial because, you know, the original commercial for Spider-Man got yeah, 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 because it had the towers. It had the towers in it. Yeah. And also, it had a helicopter like between the towers. Yeah, and like it was like it was like, oh gosh, somebody's gonna blow up the towers. And it was like, and then literally the towers got blown up. And ever, and then the, the Spider-Man execs were like, oh, change the commercial, change it, change it now. <laughs> so not it, the only film that got changed. By no, the way, no, a lot of that. films got changed. Yeah, but and a lot of shows were affected by it. Yeah, it also had twelve wins on thirty-eight nominations in total for various awards. The budget was about sixty-three to sixty-five million. And it box office was $101.2 million. All of this is in U.S. dollars. But it was considered a failure at the box office. I could see why this movie would be considered a failure. Again, this is one of these movies that I think probably doesn't advertise well and doesn't sit well with a majority of an audience. I think this movie probably was a is now a cult classic. Yeah, it found most of its success at home videos and has become a cult classic. And so it was revisited in 2009, 10 years after its release. And that's when they were like, yeah, this is a cult classic. And I think it's like, you know, kind of like most John Hughes films are cult classics. Who? Like, you know, Breakfast Club. Haven't seen it. Candles. Haven't seen it. (sighs) Are you going to be okay over there? I'm disappointed. We need to... Now... We're going to have a John Hughes marathon. We need to watch Breakfast Club and we need to watch 16 Candles. Like he needs to see these wonderful 80s films. I'll get to them at some point. Yeah. Steven wasn't lying in the last episode when he said he's one of the friends that get mad at me because I haven't seen anything. He's probably the friend that gets mad at me the most for not seeing anything. It's not hard on Kit. It's not hard. Just watch a movie, man. Just sit down and watch it. We have so many streaming now. 
I mean, but like literally uh, right now, because I'm really big supporting of the writers, Guild America and SAG, fuck streaming. But like, I understand like the necessity of it in life currently from my perspective as somebody who likes enjoy entertainment. But well, no, love streaming, but fuck the execs who are using streaming as a way to uh, not pay people what they're worth. Because as an as a director in the industry, I support. I support SAG-AFTRA and I support the Writers Guild of America. So I hope that gets handled soon because soon we won't have films or TV shows to watch unless those writers come back because AI-generated stuff is shit. And also, don't let AI take our jobs. We work really hard at what we do. We love what we do. But if AI takes our jobs, then what are we going to do? I think it's a big question of what AI can do and what AI should do. Yep. Look, AI is capable of it, but should they? No. And I think that's got to be something that limits need to be set on. Hey, and that's what we're fighting for. I mean, I'm not part of it hey, officially, we're not, but yeah. We're, we're not Project Mayhem over here. <laughs> no, no, no. We're just a bunch of actors who want to get paid right. We just want to be paid for the work that we do. That's it. That's all we want. There we go. But Steven... Thank you so much for joining this week. If people want to find you on the internet doing different things, how do they do that? Well, you can follow me on Facebook and Instagram. My Facebook is uh, facebook.com slash Stephen Nyman. I have my public Facebook as well, facebook.com slash Stephen Nyman dash director. Uh, you can also find me on Instagram at snyman17, as well as uh, follow my current project, which is indecentbwt on Instagram. You also can check out my website smdirector.com for all my exciting uh, portfolio and my resume and just to kind of take a look of who I am as a person. I love Ankit. I love what he does here. I appreciate him a lot. I think that our understanding of Fight Club is really, really, underst- really great. Uh, I need Ankit to read the book because obviously I get really passionate about book versus film. Um, I did. Let's just say Ankit and I have sat down for one Harry Potter movie uh, and Ankit will never watch Harry Potter with me again because I kind of stop it to complain uh, about the fact that some of the stuff is not right. Look, I complain uh, too, but like I just don't stop it. I just complain over the film. Yeah, but like you know, life uh, life is full of mysteries. Books are always better than the film. There are only the, there's only one trilogy, in my opinion, that the books and the film are equal because they're two separate things, but lovely. And that's the Lord of the Rings trilogy. I've seen that one. And I've watched the extendeds and they're beautiful. That's the only proper way to watch them. Uh, at least Om gets right on one thing. <laughs> okay, wait, he was right about like Tyler doing the, like blowing up the apartment. No, actually he was wrong because actually the narrator blew him blew it up. Himself. Damn it, why couldn't you let me be happy? Because <laughs> the narrator is Tyler. So the narrator blew him up himself. So Om still is wrong. <laughs> Um, but I love him. Hey, he's lovable. Uh, thank you. That's that's my whole spiel. <laughs> well, Stephen, I was gonna say it was a pleasure, but now <laughs> you just made me sad again. So, like, thanks for being here. I guess. Yeah, <laughs> but seriously, in all seriousness, thank you so much for being here and taking time out of your day. It's been a blast, listeners. Thank you so much for listening. And until next week, I'll catch y'all later. 
Hello, and thank you so much for listening to this episode of Post Finale. This podcast is created, hosted, and produced by me, Ankit Madeira. Our editor is Pranav Nair. The music is by Ankit Madeira and Megan Hutcherson, and the art is by Jared Rother. If you would like to gain access to loads of bonus content and help support the show, you can do so by heading over to patreon.com slash postfinale. Sign up for any of the tiers, and you get access to loads of different types of bonus content, like my notes or bonus audio and things like that. Also, any of the money that is made from the Patreon will go directly back into the show to help pay for better microphones, to help pay for video cameras, to make this a video podcast, etc., etc. And it is greatly appreciated. If you still want to help out the show in a non-monetary way, you can do so. Talk about us on social media. Share the show on social media at Pod on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Be sure to go follow us there as I will be uploading what the next movie is going to be very shortly as we have just finished Fight Club and to be able to make sure that you know what it is so that you can get caught up and potentially watch the movie, be sure to follow us at Post Finale Pod on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. And also reach out to a friend, share the show. Word of mouth is the best way to grow the show and it helps a lot. reach out and say hey you love movies there's this actor who hasn't seen a lot of movies so he's finally going through and seeing them and tries to guess what's happening provide some insight of what he thinks may be happening i don't have all the answers but he's trying his best and he tries to make predictions he's usually wrong but it's funny and that really does help a lot and thank you to anyone who has done this or will do this in the future it really does help but thank you so much for tuning into this episode of post finale as we finished up fight club and next week be sure to join us as we start the next movie on our journey and until then i'll catch y'all later